Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. This is Don't Miss This, your uh, scripture study class. Welcome, welcome back to seminary. To class. To class, to institute. We go through the scriptures each and every week. Uh, We follow the Come Follow Me schedule. We're right in the middle of the writings of Paul in the second half of the New Testament right now. That's where we are. It's September, it's fall. If you're in Utah, it's just starting to feel like fall. Which Luckily, is, yeah, finally. Yeah, and you know what day is coming this week, next week, the 21st night of September. <gasps> my birthday! Your birthday! It's yes! in my phone, I just saw yes! it today. Um, you guys, sorry if that registered really loud on the microphone. <laughs> got <laughs> really just excited. got really excited. <laughs> we can't wait. About the 21st night of September. I know, I everyone can celebrate because I have a song. So. Yeah, you do have a song. And that's uh, Joseph Smith Day. So so, Joseph Smith got the plates. Double so, celebration. Yeah, it's a golden birthday. And the Get last it? day of summer. Wow, way to <laughs> way to ruin the moment. <laughs> the first day of pumpkin and cinnamon and all the no, things. No, that's the twenty second. I get one more day of summer. Oh, it's the last day. Hopefully, I don't. Oh, know. cool. I think yeah. so. No, don't look it up. We're fine. Yeah. We can look it up. <laughs> it's fine. I like uh, it. Don't ruin my birthday. Yeah. So, and then general conference is coming, which is uh, super fun. Also, oh, couch we have church. so many things to celebrate. Yeah. Couch Church is coming. We're full in football. Couch so church. And Galatians. Wow. Add that to the list of all the really cool things that we have. This is true about the writings of Paul. You kind of forget. I don't know. You, um, they, Paul takes a lot of work. So if you are feeling frustrated by reading the second half of the New Testament and you're kind of like, I am really struggling to figure out what's going on. Uh, welcome to the club. Us too. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like Grace sent me a pic the other day, and she was like, "Why do I have five different Bibles open to try and understand?" It was my whole desk with what Bibles. What is happening with this? And we've talked about that before, right? Some uh, really helpful uh, commentaries are really helpful for the second half of the New Testament. These letters, um, they've survived the the they've survived time. They've made it and crossed different cultures and languages and barriers, and and part of that. Um, that's amazing that it happens, but and we want to remember that it can do that. That Scripture can can come into the hearts of people. That God can personalize it into our lives. But they were also written to a very specific time and place and people. They were to a context, to a culture, and so because there's some some of it's going to not really relate as much, and we might have to do some stretching and figuring out to you know to see, you know, to make that work. To kind of see like, wait, how does this? What's this have to do with me? Uh, so it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of work. It's probably getting you anxious for the Book of Mormon year next year because you're like, oh, that one's a little bit um, flows a little bit more uh, understandably. I don't even know if that's a word, but you you follow me, right, with that. So, But it's worth it. Uh, his writings are, uh, um, you can feel his passion. Um, you can feel his dedication. You, you feel that you can sense how much time he spent in Scripture. And there's a great payoff. When you put some time and effort into understanding Paul, both the understanding payoff, like it's kind of like a wahoo when you finally like, oh my gosh, I get I, it. Now I know what that verse means. Yeah. But also some of the things that he's teaching. Um, so I, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Hopefully we can help out in as many ways as we can. So. And it's kind of exciting. Like when you think, 
oh, this has like lasted the test of time. Yeah. Why would I want to miss out on something like that? Right. It's something that was so important, so like foundational. Yeah. It's like, oh no, this like actually stuck it out. It's cool to like, um, they, they were figuring it out. Yeah. Fit, you're watching them figure it out. Which is fun, especially if you feel like you're figuring out your life right now. Yeah, right. And, and, and it gives you a lot of grace and patience for um, to belong to a um, restored Christianity. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you're 200 years old as a church. You know, it's like there's time that. to like, okay, hold on. We're, it's okay. We're, yeah, we're learning. We're learning our, um, we're learning what God has revealed. There's patience involved in this, which is, which will be a big part of what we talk about today, actually, which is yeah. cool. Galatians is, um, you can never really know for sure. A lot of Bible scholars will argue back and forth. They have to piece together history, what you find in the book of Acts, what you see based off of what Paul's talking about, like where everything fits. But remember, the letters of Paul, the epistles to Paul, are not in order chronologically. They're in order of biggest to smallest. That's how they were put together. So um, sometimes there's interesting things to find out about them, like when and who they were written to helps you maybe understand a little bit more of the context of it. It wasn't just a blanket statement. It was not a press release. It's a letter. Dear so-and-so. It's going to specific people. Many of them Paul actually knew. So this is going to the cities of Galatia. It's a, it was a Roman province. Here's your map. If you're not, if you're listening on the thing, on the audio. Podcast. <laughs> on the podcast. Um, you can look these up, these maps up, and you can kind of see the Mediterranean Sea. And, and th- um, this is a map of Paul's first missionary journey. Goes up here from the city just north of Jerusalem, out into the sea a little bit, and then into what's modern day Turkey. And that's Galatia. Um, and those are, there's, um, these are the cities and areas somewhere near here that he is writing this letter to. And what, um, oh, and remember every single book, let me grab this, straight across from you, has, there's a, will be a tip-in for this book. Um, Galatians, you can slide it right in there. These tip-ins are kind of a little bit of the, who wrote it? Um, that's going to change in the very end of the New Testament. It's going to be Paul, 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 Paul for a while. And then it'll change uh, about when it was written and kind of a little bit about that audience that they're writing to and what they were kind of dealing with, struggling with. Um, There's an emphasis in this book. Um, I was reading this week. uh, You almost could title this book, The Meaning of Christian Life and Faith, like what it means to to live in Christ, to be free in Christ. Uh, one, One Bible scholar called it, the charter of Christian liberty. So you're going to see that, like that sense of Paul saying, wait, the, to live in Christ is to live alive. It's to live free. It's to live um, courageously. It's to live curiously. There's just a lot of, um, just that, that imagery of, of chains broken. And now what will I do? What will I do? with this newfound freedom that I've been given. There's a sense of excitement in, in, in this book about that. So it's a really, um, it's, a, it's a fun book. Maybe one of his first letters um, that he wrote. Which is cool. Um, yeah, which is really cool. One problem that was happening in Galatia that you're going to, um, we can leave that up oh. or whatever. <laughs> click, Price, click, 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 yeah. Um, uh, one of the problems that happened in Galatia is when Paul leaves after teaching a new set of um, missionaries comes into the cities of Galatia and are teaching them. Paul made it too easy, is what he's trying to teach them. 
He's like, Paul, um, he's letting you off the hook. The only way to be a member of the house of Israel, to be a, a part of God's family, which they said was Abraham's family, is to obey all the laws of the Torah, all 613 laws of them. You have to follow circumcision, the kosher laws, the holiday laws, all of those things, if you ever expect to become um, a true and real and living Christian. And that's kind of what Paul is addressing throughout this entire letter. So you're going to see some of that come up as, as he goes through it. But one thing that he teaches about, and this is actually the worksheet for the week. Final uh, time. Yeah, there. Uh, it is, and you can get this in your newsletter if you're new with us. This comes out in the newsletter or um, this page is in the journal every single week. Um, this worksheet is, is, focuses on some of what Paul talks about, one of his most famous teachings, the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's jump into that chapter and then look at what he teaches, and then we'll show you how you can use this worksheet um, just in your own study or in a class. So we're going to start toward the end of the book of Galatians in chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse six. Uh, yeah, verse 16. Um, he says this. After he's kind of like spent the first several chapters talking about, you're not bound by all of those laws. Like you feel super restricted to have to keep every single one of them. Just like this really intense pressure, you know? He's not saying commandments are out the window or ordinances are out the window or anything like that. He's just like the intensity of, making sure that you keep every single one of them or you can never be a part of the family of God. He was like, that is not the standard. He says, this I say then, walk in the spirit. That's the new way of being a part of the family of God. Walk in the spirit. Walk side by side in companionship with the Lord. Like, don't, don't you like the idea of like a walk is like a, it's like a journey. It's like an experience that you're going to have together. Well, and I feel I am a big walk person. I love it. I could go on a walk every single day for four hours for the rest of my life. And the reason I love it is because usually when you go on a walk, it's not necessarily the walk isn't the purpose. Actually, the relationship is, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to go on a walk with someone, you don't want to go on a walk because you're like in a hurry to get somewhere. You don't yeah. want to go on a walk because you're trying to get a ton of exercise. You could do something else for that. Yeah. But it's mostly because you're like, oh, I actually want to spend some time with you yeah. and I want to talk and I want to chat. And it's not necessarily about which way we go or where we're going on a walk. It's just like mostly that we're there together figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. The destination is not, is not high on the priority. List. No, or the speed. Right, right. That's awesome. And I do love that it says walk in the spirit because we could say walk with the spirit, but for some reason walk in the spirit makes me feel like I'm walking in my life, but enveloped in the spirit like everywhere i go you're wrapped in i'm it. wrapped up I, I it makes me think of um a jewish custom which is a prayer shawl and early prayer shawls um for a long period of time were made black uh blue and white you, i don't know why that sounded so funny saying blue and white instead of white and blue right <laughs> yeah, it's like that was opposite <laughs> uh, probably like red white and blue. Yeah, that's like what my that. mind is so doing um, but they're white and blue the colors of the sky the colors of heaven and so they'll wrap themselves up in it before they pray as that idea of I'm wrapping myself up in heaven as I, as I pray, or as I go to a holy place, I want to be enveloped. I want to be encircled. Um, Jewish couples will get married underneath a chuppah, like a, a canopy that was often 
white and blue too, to say your marriage is beginning enveloped. Like walk in the spirit, walk in his presence, walk in his companionship, walk in his power. Which is almost a different way of thinking about the spirit than we usually think about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like we usually think about the spirit coming in and out of our lives instead of wrapping us up Mm -hmm. in it, you know? Yeah. That all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this isn't just like a fleeting feeling. This is a constant covering, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and there seems to be a commission, right? Wrap yourself up. Walk yeah. in walk in the spirit as opposed to if you go on in the verse, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You could walk in the lusts of the flesh. And he says in 17, 17 is sort of sounds like Dr. Seuss a little bit, but once you understand it, you'll say, "Oh, that is me to a T." He says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. I feel a battling inside me. There's a sense in me that wants to walk in the spirit so desperately. And there's another sense in me that wants to walk after the manner of flesh, like selfishness and lust and and all of those things. Like I feel both of them, the spirit against the flesh, he says in 17. These are contrary, the one to the other. Uh, Every culture in all the world um, understands this people and, and it's described different ways like that the devil on one shoulder cronk you know on one shoulder and on the other remember <laughs> um the, the 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 one pair parable you've heard of the grandfather teaching his son about the two wolves that fight inside a, a person which one will you feed right and he says so that you cannot do the things that you would <laughs> which is like what uh, i was like this is two thousand years old and you and humanity is no different where it's like, I, there are so many things I wish I would do, and I don't do them. And the reason is because there's a battle happening, mm. you know, between those. Um, if you be led by the Spirit. And now he makes a list in 19. He's like, these are the works of the flesh. They're adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft and hatred. You'll notice some of these, the very first ones are all about sexual immorality. He says, man, that it matters what we do with our sexuality and with our bodies. And he's like you will notice that there is a lot of people who will walk after the ways of lust and selfishness in that way. The rest of them seem to be a lot about um, relationships, like the damaging of relationships with each other. Look up some of those words if you kind of want to see like, oh yeah, that the, co- the common works of the flesh, the common problems that all of us are so prone to and easy to fall into in varying degrees haven't changed much since Galatia, <laughs> you know? Um, And so he says, those things at the end of 21, those which do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Or in other words, are saying, I don't want the kingdom of God and the presence of the spirit in my life. I'm I'm opposing it. I'm walking a different way. He says in 22, but the fruit of the spirit is, and here's the list. And this list is what you're going to find on the worksheet. He says, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And I love that phrase because it's like, it's almost like you actually can't pin this down. Mm. Like you can't, there's no math formula for this. You know, you can cultivate and you can create an atmosphere and you can, you know, be led, but, but there's no like, does that make sense? Yeah. Where, the, yes. where it says like, man, against this is no law. And we want to focus on the this part. Obviously, we don't want to focus on the works of the flesh, right? <laughs> There's enough TV and YouTube channels out there you got it. focusing on the works of the flesh, right? Those things that you would do. 
But there's something interesting about him, I think, using that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, it's singular, right? And it's almost like you will almost notice it's a fruit, it's a fruit platter, right? It's a fruit tray. It's a charcuterie, right? <laughs> it's like all of it. You'll experience all of these things in differing degrees. But he says the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the Spirit, meaning like these things will grow in you. As you walk in the Spirit, as you walk in relationship with God, as you let His teachings and truths and His gospel sink into you, into the soil of your soul, <laughs> your heart, like these are the things that will start to grow out of you. They, these will be the evidence that the Spirit of God lives in you. And, and throughout this book, what we're going to do today in this lesson, and it might be something that you want to do with this chapter, either on your own personal study with this, because there's a box here for each of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, there's a chance to do two things in this. One, to go through the chapter and put verses and thoughts that you learn about each of these from Paul, evidences that you see it in him and things that he teaches about him. And we're going to go through each of them through the lesson. Um, But also, you might take some time to write what the question is at the top is, when have I seen that fruit growing in me? Or in others, too. You might, you might take a chance to see that in other people also. Well, and I just thought of this. You'd have to change the top of the worksheet for a second. But how cool would it be, like, a parent to a child? Like, let me actually show you when I saw this in you. Mm, you know? Really that could cool. be such a meaningful, like, takeaway from this. Oh, look, actually, I see this in you. If you don't see this in yourself yet, if you're struggling to figure out what this looks like in your life, because maybe this seems too far-fetched. Let me actually show you times when I saw this in you. Yeah, because it, be, it would be really encouraging to a person to let them know, I see, the fruits of, I see the fruit of the Spirit growing in you. You're not done. You're on a walk, right? You haven't gotten you're to the growing. destination. Yeah. yeah. It's happening. Like you're budding here and the fruit is ready, is ripe here and not quite. Does that make sense? Like yeah. There's a... I think Paul chooses this analogy on purpose because of a lot that we can learn about it, about cultivating fruit and also just the process of that. And what, what, which part is mine and, and which part is God playing in this? And I think that really is something that is so hard, at least for me to understand. And I think a lot of people my age and younger is the idea of walking in the Spirit. And even in verse 25, it wants to say, if we live in the Spirit— Let us also walk in the Spirit. And I think sometimes it's really confusing to figure out what that actually looks like to live in the Spirit. Mm. I think we're almost trained to think of like environments when we have the Spirit and then the rest of our life, no. Like I had the other day, someone came up to me and they were just crying. And it was the, the cutest little boy ever. And he was just crying and crying. And he came and he was like, I was just in a meeting and every single person there wanted to t- like say how they felt the spirit and how strong the spirit was in that meeting. And he's like, I'm doing something wrong. I'm missing it. It's not everyone else is feeling it. And that was, should have been the place that I felt the spirit and I'm missing it. And it was so like such an important and eye-opening conversation to me that we sat down and we actually went through and I was like, okay, hey, tell me other places in your life when you might feel it and show me what it actually looks like living with the spirit and walking with the spirit doesn't mean you're getting to a destination to have the Spirit. The Spirit's with you. Mm. In that meeting, Spirit's with you. When you keep going, the Spirit's with you. When you leave, it's going to come all the time. It's not just a one-time thing. You're living in it. You're yeah. walking with it. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
And I want to say maybe this, if someone's like, where before we start showing like where you will see it, I think let's start where we were going to end and then we can maybe bookend it. If you go to Galatians chapter two, this almost seems to be Paul saying, this is where one begins. He says, for I am crucified with Christ. The old parts of me died with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. When I gave myself over to him, when I chose to believe and to follow him and to link myself to him, we began to live this life together. That's the beginning. The beginning of it is as simple as a yes. I would love to live my life in relationship with you. Um, I, I, I want to be a part of your death for me and all those parts that I wish would die in me and your living for me, like all of those things. And then he just says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live in belief and trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I, I, I don't do things to push it away. I allow it to flow in me. I live in that love. I live in that trust. And I remember who he is and who I am to him and that decision, his decision, and then my decision in response. That's what it looks like to begin this walk with him, to live in context of that. Like all my decisions are going to be based off of chapter two, verses 20 to 21. That's going to be, like, be the thesis of the way I do and see my life. So these are some of the things that Paul says you're going to see. Okay, we'll start with love and joy come to you and to you some wassail too. <laughs> David's favorite song that I had never knew existed. All right. Um, are you doing that first one? Yeah. Let me just show what's on these words on the page. We'll read them off to you. And then remember, you can get these on the, the PDF of this is always saved in the app too. If you don't want to take little screenshots, but you can. I grabbed from other translations of the Bible and the Greek definition of some of these words that Paul uses just to kind of like flesh out those words a little bit and get you a little bit, I don't know, a richer definition. Remember, he used a word in Greek, and oftentimes those ancient words can be translated into so many different ways. They have a really rich definition, and so we kind of wanted to paint a, a thicker, fuller picture of what those each of those words mean. So, love is... <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say the definition yeah. or not. I was like, okay. um, one, one definition was an affection for others. Um, another, it comes from this Greek word agape. Um, there are different ways to use love, like there are in English. Like you love Hershey's kisses. Who loves Hershey's kisses? Like you love Reese's, you know, or whatever. Um, but then there is this agape kind of love, which is a communal kind of love around a kitchen table kind of picture of, of love. Um, we're all in this together kind of love. This definition was in, in Strong's Concordance, a father, the fatherly love of God and the reciprocal love in return. That's that agape, what that means. So the first one is love. And it, verse, okay, chapter 5, verse 14 is, I feel like, maybe the most beautiful way to start. And the reason I love it is I love when scripture almost like remixes something already said. You can tell like, oh, that actually meant something to him. When he heard this, that stuck with him. And um, verse 14, it just says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And 
it just automatically, my brain just wants to go to that moment with Jesus when he wanted to say, listen, everything hangs on two things. Love God, love people. That's it. That is yeah. all yeah. you need to worry about is that. And it is so interesting that this wanted to start out on a walk and in Christ and Jesus, because in all reality, if you are on a walk with someone, you're doing what they're doing, you know? In step with them. You're yeah. in step with them. You're following them. You're following their lead. It would be a really uncomfortable walk if someone was 15 steps ahead of you and you were chasing them to catch up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're trying to shadow what they're doing. And I love that at the beginning of this, Paul wants to say, listen. Oh, and that is kind of cool that someone usually takes the lead on a walk, right? And they show you. You just know. Yeah, you kind of like, you set your pace usually to somebody else yeah. or whatever. And, and to walk in the spirit. That's it's a really cool way to think about that. Let him set the pace. Yeah. You know? And he's going to choose the direction. In the direction. Yeah. You know? Cool. You just get to follow Super that. Super cool. And there's something so beautiful, I think, about the fact that he wants to start with this idea like, this is love. And you actually get to follow in the shadow of someone who did it perfectly. Mm. Like, start here. Everything hangs on this. He taught it from the very beginning. Jesus knew that this was going to be important. You just have to love. Start there. And it gets even deeper because once he starts explaining, like, oh, let me show you what love looks like. If you go to chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there's something in that to me that makes me want to say, oh, he's actually wanting you to remember that Jesus did this. He did it actually in the garden and on the cross. He bore burdens, mm. every single person's, and he did it well. He said, you know what? This is why I came, actually, is to take that on me. Mm. It's mine. And now all of a sudden he's saying, okay, if we're in a walk together, start doing what I'm doing. How has Jesus borne your burdens? It's going to look different for us. He does it a lot more well. Weller? Better. Better. Thank you. Better than Weller's we can. Been. Yeah, it's fine. You get it. But don't worry. You actually are commissioned to do the same thing. He showed you the pattern. Follow along in the walk. Mm. That's what you have to do. It's easy. Just love. Just start there. No matter what, if you're not sure where this journey starts, it actually just starts with loving people. That's what it's going to look like. You're going to feel it, and then you're going to want to do it to others. Pick them up. Lift them up. Yeah. Help them. You know? Yeah. And if you go a little bit further down into verse 10. Um, 610, right? 610, yeah. yeah. Chapter 6, verse 10. It's so cute because it just wants to remind you, oh, this is actually for everyone. Whoever you encounter on your walk, stop. Say, hey, love on them a little extra. If you're in the middle of this, that's actually all this looks like. It just looks like a stop in your walk and saying, oh, how can I bless you right now? How can I lift you up? How can I love you a little more? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love in that 10 that it also says, this is something when I was reading it this or yesterday, and it said, and, and especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Mm. Because I just, sometimes I am, am guilty of giving my very best to people outside of my household. And, um, and, and, and it's talking about maybe that within like a, a faith community, especially within your your faith community, because sometimes those who are closest to us get our, our leftovers. And 
new friends get our very best and, and work maybe gets our very best of our heart or whatever it is. And I just love that there's that, that um, commission in there also, especially those who are in the household of faith. You know, like sometimes I am together in a, in a congregation award and I pass by someone in the hall and say nothing. And then I think to myself like, David, they're not a piece of furniture. They're your neighbor. They're, they're a part of your faith community. Paul said in an earlier book, they're the arm and you're the foot. Like you live together in, in faith. And I just think sometimes um, it's easy to get lost. Forget that. And I just like that he reminds us, hey, especially do good unto everyone, but especially those who can easily get overlooked because you're just so used to seeing them all the time. Which is so cute because there is just something that I'm obsessed with the idea that Jesus lived that. You watch him do it with his people. Yeah. He never forgot about Peter. Yeah. You know, yeah, he yeah. spent all the time with him. Peter still got his moments. Yeah. And I just think there's something that when I think about love, I want to stop and I want to say, let me look at how he did it. And then let me see if maybe I can do a little bit of that in my day to day. Yeah. You know, he yeah. just did it so well. Yeah. Amen. Um, joy is the second one. Who thinks this is such an awesome phrase? Exuberance about life. Uh, this next one rivals it. Calm delight. So good. Like, are you kidding? And then gladness greatly. That's actually how it was written. Was oh. gladness greatly. And there's something about like an optimism, a thrill that comes as a fruit of the spirit. I'm not talking about through everything and anything, but even in even in hardship, right? Remember someone quoted in that last general conference that that phrase about Joseph Smith and was that talk that reminded me of Dory? It was like, just keep swimming, you know, or whatever. But he quoted the, the very, very beginning of it was if all the mountains of Nova Scotia were piled upon me. Mm. Like I would still have hope. I would still have optimism or, you know, something along those yeah. lines. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And that just the idea of, a man, a joy in a person, that there is a joy that starts to well up and bubble up in a person who walks a life with Christ, who lives in the spirit. Look at some of these verses. We're, we're jumping around a lot, right? Because we're just kind of handpicking some of the things that are, that are in here. But chapter 3, 28 and 29, um, so awesome where he just says, There is neither Jew nor Greek or bond or free. There's neither male or female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That was a revolutionary idea in the time of, of Paul, that everybody can be involved. Everybody can be a part of this. So the table's big enough for everybody. The more the merrier type of experience and then he says, and if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that you're included, you're in the will, you're written in. And there's something, a, a joy that kind of springs up in, in that. If you go over into chapter four, he says, and because your sons or daughters, God hath sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word is a, it's like a tender word, like a daddy kind of word, um, like a really affectionate dad, you know, type of. Of word and and he just says that's the kind of experience that you you'll it's the that kind of thrill it's that kind of joy it's that kind of like you know fireworks in in the heart he says in seven you're not a servant you're a son or a daughter and if you're a daughter then you're an heir of god through christ like there's you can almost hear the exclamation points as as he uses these phrase and then he uses this to call us in verse 28 same chapter four now we brethren as isaac that story of Sarah and, and Abraham as Isaac, we are the children of promise. There are, we are like, we are been, we've been graciously gifted and there are promises aplenty and 
there's just so much to have thrill and joy about um, with this message. And when it lives in you, it'll just, it'll radiate from you. It just will. And it's so cute that he wants to say, listen, you're not a servant. Because if a servant messes up, the servant's going to get fired. Yeah. That's going to be the end for or him. Or beheaded. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's getting scary for the servant. <laughs> but if a son messes up or a daughter, the parent doesn't really give up on that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I love that that's what he wants to say joy is. Because if you're going to work as a servant, you're terrified every single day. Mm-hmm. And if you live as a son or a daughter, you actually get to be excited about life. Yeah. Oh, I don't have to wake up nervous. I don't have to wake up scared. I don't have to wake up anxious. Because actually, I'm not going to get fired from this. Yeah. He's not going to give up on me. I'm just picturing like a dinner table, like a really fancy, like Downton Abbey or something. Like cool. the servants who have like their rules and like, oh my gosh, don't cross the boundary or something yes. like that. Versus a child who's allowed to come to the table freely. And yeah. they're allowed to like express their opinions and they're allowed to, they just live in a different kind of like. Freedom. Yeah, right. It is that freedom. It's that word, y'all. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, that's going to be the word for Jesus for the week. But it's so just. So it's cute that yeah. it's filtered through yeah, this Yeah, it really keeps thing. coming. So, okay, let's go to the next ones. So now we're going to move on to this one, which is peace and long suffering. These two words in here. And I'm going to take this first one, which is peace. And look, these words are so appealing to my soul right now. Serenity. <laughs> rest and this i've never heard this definition of peace before to be Mm. set at one again almost like it it makes me sound like to like when you shake up a snow globe or something like that and it's like ah even though that's the funnest part of a snow globe but um when it's (laughs) It's your when it's yeah when it's your life it's not (laughs) but like when it's set at one again when everything is settled and put back together or a puzzle is put together instead of its Mm. jumbled pieces it's just like oh it's all put back together that there's that feeling um, if you're looking here on the board, I want you to start in chapter six, verse 16, because there is a phrase in here and I, and he says this, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the God of Israel. And then it would leave you saying like, wait, what rule is that? And it's all throughout the book of Galatians. He's like, those who walk according to this rule are going to walk in and experience a kind of peace. And I think it's best described back in chapter three. Are you guys hanging with us? Are you with us? Like jumping around? Like we're having fun. You gotta be on your toes. Yeah, we're having fun. Okay, there might be a lot of rewinding in this one. (laughs) It's fine. Um, If you go back to three, chapter chapter three, verse 10, he says this. And he's talking about those other missionaries that came in and said, you have to keep every single one of the rules and every single one of the restrictions and every, you have to do it all right and perfectly. And he says, and if you don't do all of these, you can't be a part of it. And Paul comes in and he says, it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, right? He's just like, and so nobody could do it. So the opposite of this would be to feel like you have to like, ah, you're always struggling. Like, like, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Am I am I making him mad? Am I? It's like that servant feeling again. Like I'm always tiptoeing around him. I'm checking my rearview mirror, you know, all of those things. And he says, in twelve, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And he says this: Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law was important, right? But he says Christ took the curse of the law upon him, and he hung on a tree. So that, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham might come upon everyone through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, through trust, through belief, through trying. 
that's the new rule. He says, and those who live by that rule, made possible by Jesus taking upon him, living out the law perfectly, and then taking the curse of the broken law upon him both, it left us in a place to be developed and to learn and to grow and free to do that instead of so restricted and and condemned if we couldn't. And so he's, that is what he says brings like a, a certain sort of like confidence and peace and set at one again comes when you can walk by that. And that usually that seems stressful almost to find. Like, you know, those days when you're like trying so hard to figure that out and you're just like, wait, I just want to get this all settled. And he's like, oh, wait, actually, like, that's not how you're going to find that freedom. It's mm-hmm. going to be different. Mm-hmm. You don't need to like unpack your whole life to get there. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Just him. Awesome. So awesome. Okay, the next one is long suffering. Now you're going back to the beginning, so I'll flip your pages more to chapter one, verse fifteen. And the definition for this one is willing to endure or patience. And it's interesting. I don't know what I imagine when I think of long suffering, but it's not usually affiliated with the word wait to me. I think because long suffering seems so fancy and wait seems so. Simple. Yeah, like oh. grocery store. You know what I'm oh, saying? Like, like it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah, like it's a line. But I think... But, have you, but Costco on a Saturday, yeah. like, some of those lines are long <laughs> suffering. So I don't know why. You're, like like the word's really simple to figure yeah, out. That's you're like, true. oh, it's actually long suffering. Yeah, I want short it. suffering or long happiness. <laughs> but instead... Like, I don't want that one. I don't want that one. But it's just once you connect that word, and it's something that Paul wants you to see, is that those two things are so deeply connected, the weight. And I think that long-suffering to me seems a little bit far-fetched. Like, I'm like, I only have to long-suffer when I'm in the middle of a deep trial, you Mm -hmm. know, which is true. But waiting happens to me pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always waiting for something. And he starts out in chapter 1, and he, um, in verse 15, and he wants you to see, like, his life, almost like just like a little sneak peek. And he's just like, listen, when it pleased God who separated, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. That happened in God's timing. Yeah, he's when telling it, his conversion story yeah. or hinting at his conversion story. Yeah, that he's like, from the beginning, like that, I didn't start out there. And maybe in his head for a second, he's even saying, I actually maybe would have chosen for it to happen earlier. Like if I could choose big picture for my life, I don't know if I would have waited that long. But actually, it was God who chose that timing. Mm-hmm. It was on him. Mm-hmm. He decided. He actually did it when it pleased him. Which is interesting because I think that settles a little bit more deeply with me. Oh, sometimes it does seem like I'm waiting for the time when it pleases God to start. Mm-hmm. You know, that big picture, I would have chosen something different. But God's going to choose his time. And he goes down a little bit later and he says, um, if you keep looking, he says, he called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach. He said, this is it. Like the moment that I was called to preach. But the next verse is so interesting because then he says, um, but I didn't go up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and all of that. I actually went to Arabia, which is interesting because we're not 100% certain exactly what happened in Arabia. We have like some hints throughout the scriptures Maybe he went to Mount Sinai. Maybe he went taught along the way. We're not 100% certain. But what I love is that it leaves room for him to actually still be waiting. Yeah. That Paul still actually had moments to wait in his life. 
And he said, you know what? That's actually sort of how God works. There's still going to be times when we have to wait. And it makes sense with the whole like analogy that Paul will use at the end that we started with of the, the fruit of the spirit. You're just, there's, there, like, it's not a microwave. Yeah. Right? There's not, like, there is something about him choosing that analogy that says it's in the ground and it looks like nothing is happening yeah. at all. And then all of a sudden you begin to see some things and then more and then more. And it's just like there's something about that, especially if you're not a super patient person or if, if we, we don't live in a very patient world either. And so this is a becoming a lost art. Yeah. It's a lost form of worship. Like waiting is worship, right? Because it's a trust in him. And we are living in a world where that kind of worship is not valued and it's not and his value is not being seen, you know, for what it can be. And it's almost not wanted, right? you know? Yeah. And it's like, wait, I hate that. Because there's something about it, right? If someone's just like, like, look in the next verse. She's like, then after three years. And then in the next chapter, the very beginning, he's going to, I think it's like seven years. And like, sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we're like, oh yeah, then he went here and we look at that map. Right here, 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 here. Without, without even thinking about, he might not have started even preaching for 10 years after, we don't know. We're making, you know, our reading and scholars reading of this, a possibility is that he was, like, he was called and then 10 years later, he had a 10 year period of preparation. And you see that with Joseph Smith also, you see that, you know, it's like 14 years old and then 17 and then four more, you know, and then just sort of like a, a tutoring, a waiting, you know, and there's something about I waited on God for 30 days that doesn't do something to the soul that I waited on God for 12 years. Mm. There's something about the time, you know, that time, time plus intensity is what, you know, intensity under pressure, you know, or whatever that, you know, that formula of, I'm going back to chemistry here or whatever, but you know what I'm talking about? You're talking to the wrong person. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But there is something about time that can't be understated. And that makes me want to think of that song. So you should put it in whatever you put a song in. I don't know. You're the boss the of dailies. the song. Yeah. 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 But it's by Hillsong. And it's called Seasons. It's a Christmas Ooh. song. It's on their Christmas album. But I listen to it year round. So you can too. It's fine. Okay. It doesn't sound that much like a Christmas song. But um, it just has this line that says, if you're not done working, I'm not done waiting. And I think... Sometimes waiting is frustrating, especially like you think if you go to In-N-Out and you have to wait and there's no one behind the counter doing anything, that is like the worst kind of waiting. But if you're waiting and you look around and every single worker is just doing their very best, it's a different kind of wait, Mm. you know? And I think sometimes we forget with God, we're not waiting and he's not sitting up there on his couch like, oh, sorry, I'm not really in the mood to do that right now. Yeah. Like we're waiting on someone who is working in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. He's not being lazy. That's not why we're waiting. Yeah. And just because you don't see something doesn't mean he isn't on the move. Yeah. Right. It's like, just because I'm not like, I don't see any evidence of it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I have seen the works of our God. I've seen him part seas in the scripture and be giants. And I've seen him heal the blind. And to me, when I think about that, it changes because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, if he's working on a miracle like that in my life, oh, I'm going to wait. Mm-hmm. I'll wait for the C because that's worth it to me. Yeah, 
Yeah. He's someone worth waiting for. Oh, amen. Did we finish that one? <gasps> no, five. Oh, that's a, you're going to love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to do that one. Go back, <laughs> I was like, everyone. Wait, We're in my done. mind, I was like, there's something that we didn't quite do. Um, it and that. it matches this one so good, so right. you have to go there. It's exactly in chapter five, where we were going. verses four through six. And it is maybe the cutest thing ever because it wants to say, oh, actually, it's through the spirit that we are waiting. You know, it's in him. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith. And that's interesting because if, if I'm waiting in the spirit, that means his presence is there and his presence is sanctifying and his presence is power. And so something is happening. It's like saying like the, um, the noodles are boiling and like three minutes in, they're not done. So nothing's happening. And it's like, wait, it is happening. Like they're immersed in the change, right? But give it time. And you see, you know, when you have water boiling on the stove, you're not sitting there and being like, oh, this might never happen. Like it might never actually boil. You know, it's going to. Right. You know? And I love that that's what he wants to say is, oh, you're actually, the waiting is connected to hope and faith. Mm. That is a connection. You need to make that. Because then in my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, I am waiting. And I'm not sure that God's working in my life. I don't see the evidence of that. But I actually can see what he's done before. And I'm going to live in hope and faith in the wait. You know? Mm, yeah. That, oh, someone like him, something's going to happen. This isn't the end. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and that would be what a, what a great synonym for that too. Just be like someone, instead of me saying like, I, I, I never want to say I'm waiting. I either want to say I'm waiting in faith. Yeah. Or I'm waiting in, in hope. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm going to be waiting in one of those two things. Um, or I'm, or I want to say like, someone's like, what are you doing right now? And I want to say trusting Mm. ing currently trusting. Like I'm like when I'm waiting, I'm actually trusting. I'm not doing nothing. I'm actually practicing faith in him. I'm, I'm hoping I'm trusting. Something's coming. Yeah. Something is coming. It's not the end. Right. The way is the end of the story. Like our, you know, the miracle bracelets. I can't, I can't remember we talked about anything on here about them. We have this. Um, collection of bracelets that are coming out. If you've seen anything over oh, at the Good News so good. brand that represent all of the miracles of Jesus. And they're, they are so awesome. Like um, there's just, anyways, go check them out because you'll want to see them. But what yeah. I wanted to say is one of the ones I'm most excited for is we have one that's called Hope and it's dark colored, but it shimmers because it teaches that kind of idea of, hold on, I'm in a dark spot, but it's shimmering. I can mm. almost see the hints of light. And when we wait on a miracle, we wait on the Lord because we don't know his timing and we don't know what the miracle is going to look like. But we don't just wait in dark. I love what you were teaching. We wait in hope and we wait in faith. That's so powerful. That's the best part of this lesson. No, something's coming. Yeah. He's got something big planned. Yeah. And then finish that verse at end of six where he says, but faith, oh, yeah. which worketh by love. That I can assume about him. I can assume that whatever he's doing, he's working in love. His intentions are are charity. They are pure love is what they are. You're not waiting because you're getting punished. Right. You're not waiting because he doesn't care enough about you to remember to do something in your life. Mm. Waiting doesn't mean that you're forgotten about. Waiting actually means that you are still living in love. Yeah. You know? 
That's five, four through six. For those of you who just heard that yeah. whole section and were like, stop, go back. That you was, need that, that one. Was Paul's you need best it. Part. It's so good. See, it's worth it when you work through the words, you guys, you <laughs> find them in there. And I promise you, um, these next two uh, are, are gentleness and goodness. And these oh. are just really, really sweet words. Um, anyways, um, am I doing that first one? Yeah. yeah. Look at this. A sense of compassion in the heart, a moral excellence, a kindness. If you go over to um, chapter four, Galatians chapter four, Paul is going to be talking uh, in one through three. He this comes is so down, cute. It's I'm so excited really for darling. you to teach this. It's so, so darling. Cute. He really kind of comes down on the ideas that are like, and he's just like, he even says in one of the earlier chapters, so you, you turn from it so quickly, you know, and he's actually a little bit like, like firm with them in the way that he speaks. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of energy. Paul does. And then he just says this in 11, I'm afraid lest I bestowed a, upon you labor in vain. I'm, I'm, one of my greatest fears is that everything I've tried to do to help you is, is a waste. Like, I don't want it to be a waste because I actually care about you. I didn't just come to Galatia, check it off my list and say, did it, and then left. I'm writing this letter again because I care that, about you. And he says, I, I, I beg you, in verse 12, be as I am, for I am as you are. We, we're in this together, and you haven't injured me at all. And he said, I want you to know this. He says, you remember when I came in 13, how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at first. We don't know what that is, but he says, I remember I, I was struggling with something. I was really sick or I had my, um, you know, eye problems. Some Bible scholars think, remember I had that and my temptation was in my flesh. You despised it not. You didn't see that and think there was something wrong with me. You didn't hold it against me. You weren't like rude about it. You didn't reject me, but you received me as an angel of God. So I don't know what it was, right? But he says, but you, the normal reaction would have been to be repulsed or to ignore or at the very least, you know, or to reject. But you receive me as an angel of God. And then he says, better even as Jesus Christ, as Christ Jesus. You took me in as if I were him visiting you. That's how you treated me. That's the dinner you put on the table as if he were coming. That's, that's the bed that you gave me in your, the spare bedroom in your house, as if he were the one who was there. And he says, where is then this blessedness spoken of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you probably would have given your own eyes to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, could have been his eyes or could have been that phrase of saying, like, I, I, you just gave your own shirt off your back for me. A- am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And he says, no. I am reciprocating the same kind of gentleness that you gave to me. And that's now he moves into this gentle way of, of speaking. Um, they zealously affect you, their, their argument. So I zealously brought it back. But I need you to know that there's, there's gentleness in my heart, in the way that I care about you, in the way that I pray for you, in the way that I, that I think about you. And I just love that he's like, you actually showed me how to treat broken people. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be like that. When people come to me broken, I want to treat them as if it's him, like Jesus himself. And, I, and it's almost as if, like, Paul would, would be saying to these people, you guys, I don't know why you think that you have to, like, keep all 613 of these, like, really strictly in order to, like, live in Christ because you already have been doing it. You're doing good. You're already doing it. Like, yeah. You're already, like, the fruit of the Spirit is already clearly growing. Yeah. You. You're walking in faith. You're walking in Christ right now already. And even just when you hear that story, it just makes me want to think like, oh, who's broken in my life 
that I should be treating better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, who do I need to be a little more gentle with? Just because they're broken doesn't mean that I need to, like, jump into it. Like, it could be gentle. Yeah. You and know? it's an untold story that you don't get in the book of Acts. And it's yeah. sweet. Paul, Paul's like, remember when you treated me like this? That mattered. It mattered to me. Yeah. It's so yeah. cute. We love it. Um, okay. The next one is goodness, which, you guys, this is definition is going to make you want to cry. It's so good. You need to <laughs> highlight this. Write it. Everyone, don't miss this. Um, oh. <laughs> it's conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. Mm. Which, hurry, everyone write that down. Pause and write that down because you can't forget about how good that is. And something about the word goodness I've always just loved. I just, the word good, I think that's the best compliment you can give someone. That you just look at them and you're like, oh, you're good. You're good. You have yeah. a good heart. You're a good person. And the way he describes it is so tender because it really is that idea that like, oh, let me just sprinkle this everywhere, this little bit of goodness in all these places. And it starts in 418 and you see it and it's, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I'm present with you, just always be living in goodness. Just even no matter who you're with, if it's with me, if it's without me, if you're alone, if you're in a group of people, always be actively involved in something good. Let that just be your life. It could be a small thing. It could be a big thing. But spend your life living in goodness. Yeah. And, and, and it comes maybe from that conviction that really that all people are holy and all things of this world are holy. And, and I should treat them in that same way that they treated. What if I saw that in, in everyone? And that, ver, that phrase there where it says, not only when I am present with you, like especially when I'm gone, not with you. I got this note one time from... Jane's teacher, my little Jane's teacher, and at the end of the school year, and she just wrote this note and just said, hey, I just wanted you to know that we have a kid in our class who no one really wants to be friends with, and he's super awkward, and she's time and time again, I see Jane go sit next to him and, you know, help him with whatever he's doing and just say, you know, hello to him, be friendly to him, and just love him really, really well, and I'm so glad she wrote me that note because it's like, I just want to know that, but even if she hadn't written that note, it was happening, even though I wasn't present and I didn't see it happening. And I, I just, that, the phrase like that, just, I, I love, I love that. I love that he's just like, you know, and here we are on earth, away from home, and God would say the same. Even, even if, you know, you're away from home, and, and be good and gentle to people while you're gone. Which is a cool idea that it's not like, you're not being good to impress people. You're just being good because you're good. Yeah. Because, because it's just you, your heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it takes us back, and you can see, we kind of said this one earlier with love, but in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, um, don't be weary in well-doing. Like, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Like, just, you don't need to be tired about it. You just need to, like, it's just a way of living. It's just doing this goodness. Yeah. Like, don't let it exhaust you. Just live it. Almost. Yeah. You yeah. know? And it goes back to that verse. Let us do good unto all men. And it goes back to that idea of especially those who are in your household, in the, of the household of faith. But it makes me just think that like, it's almost as if Paul was just saying, oh, actually, it's just the people in front of you. Mm. Like, look around. You're just doing good to the people in front of you. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get really caught up in that idea of like, all men, that needs to be like, 
when I think all men, I think the whole entire world, like the yeah. whole earth. And I'm like, I need to be doing goodness in Mexico and I need to be doing goodness in Argentina and I need to be doing goodness in China. And that is overwhelming, right? Yeah. Like, oh, like I need to be everywhere. And then he's like, no, no, no. I'm not saying all men, like you need to see the whole world. I'm saying all men, like who's in front of you right in now? In your world. All, people, all men in your world. Yeah. yeah. Like just look up. And it's going to be the person at the grocery store and it's going to be your next door neighbor. And maybe it's going to be the person whose door you knock on on your mission. And maybe it's going to be the person. It's just the people in front of you. Yeah. Are you making goodness in their life? Yeah. You know? Right. It's not complicated. That's all men. Yeah. I'm not going to know every single person on earth. Yeah. And you actually only have a chance to be really gentle and good and meaningful ways to like a smaller sphere of people. Yeah. You know, like you just, you only get a chance to really be tender and to forgive and to uplift and just to be kind on a, on a, on a sacrificial level to those who are just close by. And we have this idea, especially like hearing that sentence, like all men that like, oh, it's our job to like change the world with goodness. And I want to say, yeah, let me tell you what it looks like to change someone's world. It looks like doing your mom's dishes. That changed her world. It looks like staying after in math class when the one kid that is struggling so deeply and saying, oh, I got this one. Let me help you on it. Mm -hmm. You just changed that boy's world. Right. You know, right. it looks like sitting next to the woman that sits alone in church every single Sunday and saying, oh, let me sit by you. Let me help you with the kids. Yeah. I got this one. You yeah. just changed her world. Right. That's just the person in front of you. Mm -hmm. That's the household. of things. Yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. What a great way to read that verse forever and ever. Okay, and then these last two, meekness and temperance. <clears throat> um, this one's called a spoonful of sugar. I'm going to tell you why in just a second, and I'm a, a little opposed to hesitantly? it. But also, He's gonna I'm tell hesitantly, you hesitantly calling it. Emily, if you're listening, this one's for you, just so you know. <laughs> it's fine. Um, we're going to do meekness first, not needing to force things. That is such a simple way of looking at meekness that I think just overall changes the way you see it. And he makes it simple too. In chapter three, verse six, I just love that he wants to say, listen, meekness is as simple as belief. He says, even as Abraham believed God, that's it. He said, wait, let's just focus on the fact that you can just believe. It's mm -hmm. so simple. You don't need to force it. You're not in charge of this. You can just live in belief. Yeah, it's coming back to that whole premise of the fruit again, right? The fruit of the spirit. Like, let me just live in belief and trust of you and just here, you know, change me. Like, let grace have an impact on me. Like, let, like, there's something really sweet about that. Abraham had all of these promises that were given to him. And he's like, I have no idea how these are going to come to fruition. Um, oh, I didn't even mean to use a fruit word there. Yeah. I have no idea. But it just said in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed. And he's just like, let me put my hand, my life in your hands. And you do what you do best. I, and I am going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. It's uh, aman. That's where amen actually comes from. It's mm. that word in, in Hebrew that means here. Open hands. Just, I believe. That's living a meek life. Yeah. You yeah. know, you don't need to force it. That's not your job. And he actually kind of goes into that deeper in chapter 5, verse 1. That he just says, actually, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Don't be entangled, again, with the yoke of bondage, which actually is the word for Jesus this week, is liberty. 
freedom, release, all these beautiful definitions. But what I love the most is that it's attached to that word meekness. That it's like, wait, actually, this isn't you. You don't need to force it because it's actually just him. You're free. You can just live in that. You can just believe that. Mm -hmm. That's a spirit of meekness is allowing that to be the way you live your life. You don't need to force it. Yeah. There's kind of a new definition of, of freedom today, which is like to do whatever the heck I want, you know? Yeah. But that wasn't, that's not the biblical definition of freedom. Like the, the, and, and for a long time, and even in the United States, the definition of freedom was I was free to want the good and the beautiful and the true. And I had the willpower to do it. That's what that idea of freedom is. I'm free to pursue the good and the true and the beautiful. And I have the power to be able to do that, not to do whatever I want. Because Paul even says that a little bit later. And when he talks about that, you've been set free, you're released from bondage to do what? Back in that 13 that we looked at, to, to love other people. Like you're not free to serve the flesh. You're not free to do whatever you want. You were set free to pursue the good and the beautiful and the true. You have the power to embrace those things. That's why you were set free to live in love. That's why. And he's inviting you into a better freedom. Yeah. He says, no, no, no. Like you're actually not realizing that that freedom isn't the freedom you want. Yeah. Were you? No, go. Oh, I was going to say, there's that parable that Jesus tells, you know, in the, uh, about the two men that are forgiven, set free. Yeah. And the one guy is set free of so much money, right? Like billions of dollars, if you did the math or whatever. And yeah. he's like, you're set free. You're free, right? And, um, and then he goes out and the other guy owes him like $5,000 or something like that, which is nothing to wink at. But he chokes the guy, it says, you know, he chokes yeah. him out. And like, I read that and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like at what, at what dollar amount would I start choking out my friends <laughs> is my first question, you know? But like you read that and then he goes back to the king and the king, you know, kind of puts him in jail or whatever. And... I think what we're learning, one of the lessons that we're learning from that parable is the fact that like, oh, you weren't actually, you went to jail because you weren't actually set free. If you start choking at your neighbor over $5,000, it's evidence that you did not understand the freedom that was given you. You missed it. Clearly you missed it. And that's why he's in jail, right? Like Jesus isn't saying like, I'm gonna put you in jail if you don't forgive people. I think he's trying to teach us this idea of Oh, if you are like responding so viciously and so like full of hatred over this little thing, clearly you have not been captured by the freedom of Jesus yet. Like it has not captured your heart yet. And it was an invitation to let that sink in. The king went bankrupt for you. He gave up his kingdom for you. So your freedom is not just like it doesn't mean like free for all free for all it's freedom was purchased and that's as much an important part what you can do uh, is probably not as important as what was done for you as part of freedom both of those are a part of freedom what was done for you is a part of freedom now therefore what can you do is a part of freedom because of that but that first part is it was it was purchased and that's what sets you free it sets you free from all sorts of ideas about who you are, about your worth, about your value, about um, about um, whatever happens in this world. I don't have to be bondage to it, to people's opinions. I don't have to be bondage to the way things go. Like I'm, I'm, I'm set free from all of those. I'm loved. I'm set free in in the love and and rescue of of 
of Jesus. You know, I don't have to impress you and I don't have to like reach a certain level and I don't have to, you know, because I'm free. I'm free from all that, from those, from those expectations. And I love that that automatically points, even that parable points to living a meek life. Yeah. You know? I don't have to force it. Yeah. It's actually like his freedom is going to permit me to live meekly. You know? I don't have to force it. I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to strangle my friends. You know? Right. Like, it's just like this moment that it's like, oh, no. Actually, he already set you free. You're okay. You can just live now. It's not, it's not your job. You don't need to force things out. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, and then 6-1 is also so good. This is so cute. Um, and it, if you go there, it says, if a man be overtaken in a fault... If someone screws up, if they're messy, if it's falling apart, you who are spiritual, restore such and one in the spirit of meekness. You get to actually forgivingly restore them. That's your job. You don't need to force them. You don't need to be in charge. You're not the boss. You actually just get to forgivingly restore. That is your job, is living in meekness. Restore them. Yeah. It's their fault, but it's that parable again. Yeah. The second guy would have lived out 6-1 if he, if he let the freedom of Jesus sink into his soul. You yeah. Know, he'd have been like, oh, I don't, I don't actually have to like, I don't have to hold this over you. It's not like, my job. I don't have to be better than you. Yeah. I don't, in the sight of God. Like, I'm, I'm so set free that I'm like, I can give it to every single one of you. I get it. Yeah. I can, I can be super liberal with his love and his mercy and the message of his grace because he was so liberal with me. And so like, I'm, I'm set free to do that. It's him. He is liberty. Yeah. And because he is, that's so easy. I yeah. just get to live meekly. It's not my job. Right? Yeah. So awesome. I, I do love this little aspect of, of this meekness and, and freedom in 2-2 when he's talking about when he had that call by the um, God, Jesus met him on the road and called him to the apostleship and, and to be the, you know, the apostle to the, uh, to the Gentiles and all of these things. And I just love seeing this meekness in him in 2-2 where he says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached unto the Gentiles, meaning to Jerusalem. He went to Peter and to the leadership of the church. And he says, But I went privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run and had run in vain. And I think it's actually really sweet that he really could claim. He's like, well, Jesus came to me and I, like, I'm now the boss of all this. But he actually went privately to the leadership of the church to say, this is way different than what we all expected. Is this okay? Mm. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in this? And then Peter could have verified, no, no, I had that vision with Cornelius. And I think we're, we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, we're on the same page. And I just think there's something about that part of the story where he goes to them and to say, again, with, my free, with his freedom, he, he, you know, he didn't have to be right. Yeah. He was so free, he didn't have to be right. And there's something really, really cool um, about that that you see here. And later on in the chapter, he kind of like, you know, they start calling each other out on things. And it's just like, um, we don't know their intentions. We don't know the mood. We don't know like, you know, but everything works out. And you kind of see that they're okay. To, they're free to disagree and free to counsel with each other and free to love and free to figure things out and free, you know, and have the time for, for all of that as they, as they move through. This very last one is this idea of temperance, which is to direct your energies wisely, which... Paul, as a passionate person, um, <laughs> like he could be a fireball. So the fact that, you know, you can see the fruit of the Spirit growing in him, this self-control. I love chapter 3, verse 24, where he says, well, actually, I want to start with 6-4. 
because I, um, where he just says this, let every man prove his own work. And I, this idea of temperance is to direct your energies wisely and to have self-control. That the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is the work of God in you. It's the evidence of the work of God in you. But I do like in 6.4 when he says, um, but let every man prove his own work. You have a role to play in this. You're a co-creator together with God in the life that you are creating. And so, yes, it's his work that he's doing in you, but you have to protect it and you have to cultivate it and you have to create a space for it and you have to use your energies in a, in a wise way and self-control. And I love that analogy again of that fruit growing and, and the role that I can play in helping to facilitate that happening at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much trimming and dunging and fencing and care I do for it. God makes that grow. Like, I can't force any of that to happen. But there is something about that. Like, oh, you can you you play a role in this. And then that 324, which when he's talking about the law and the Torah and everything, and he's saying, like, I'm not saying that was bad. What I'm saying to you is the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ who justified us by faith. And it's um, that schoolmaster word sounds like someone with a ruler ready to smack your hands, but it really was, um, I read from one Bible scholar where they said, that's like, it was like a Mary Poppins type person. (laughs) Even though I don't think Mary Poppins is very nice in the movie, but- A better Mary Poppins. A better Mary Poppins, you know? Uh, A Jiminy Cricket, (laughs) if I may. Um, Who like, their job was to get the kids to where they were supposed to go. Like guide them along in in their path and everything. And he says- God gave us that law as a, as a, it wasn't the ends, right? It was a means to help you get, come unto Christ. And it, and it accidentally became the, the, the big ends. Picture. Yeah, the big yeah. picture. It was just like, my obedience is my salvation. And I was like, no, 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 no. It was, a, the law was a schoolmaster. And the law was gentleness and the law was goodness and the law was love because you, you made a golden cow on the foot of Mount Sinai when you could hear the voice of God. And, and, and instead of just saying, forget it, go back to Egypt, he said, why don't I put training wheels on you? You know? And you saw God like gently grow them and, and work in them. And, and he's trying to help them see, like he gives us things that help us with our self-control and help us direct our energies wisely. They're not the end. Like I don't leave this life, you know, with a report card. But they are the means in helping me, in living in, help me, guide me, direct me, give me principles, give me policies, give me truths that will like guide me in walking in the spirit. Show me how to do that. And I, and that's a really, really important part of this freedom. It's interesting to me that like when the United States like won their independence, one of the very first things that it did was set laws. And let, let's set principles and how to govern our freedom with each other and, and God's, and, you know. And just because there's laws doesn't mean you're not free. Right, right. Help you know? me. Help me walk in the spirit. Give me counsel. Give me advice. Um, teach me the principles that will help me to do that. And, and I do love that this is, um, this is part of that as well, right? And I'm okay to have them. Yeah. You know, I'm free to have them. I'm free to let someone direct me. I'm free to let someone older and wiser than me give me some advice. You know, and there's something really beautiful about about that in here, which is so good. So you have this whole, you can, there are probably other verses in here 
that you can fill out in this worksheet and just learn about all these things to see the fruits of the Spirit grow in in you. I, I want to end where kind of where we um, where we began in that very end chapter. Um, he says, uh, Paul teaches this really like obvious principle of you reap what you sow, right? He was like, if you plant p- pumpkins in the ground, you're not going to get out cucumbers. Like that's just like really obvious. You guys, there is this, we will link this in the newsletter. There is this old school seminary video uh, to teach you reap what you sow. Um, the, the things that you put into your life, the beliefs that you put in, um, the passions that you put, like what is going to grow out of this. And it's, uh, it's so cheesy and you just have to prep it like this. You're like, like there's a scale of cheesiness and it's so cheesy. It's come all the way back around to good again <laughs> is what it has. And it's like a really simple way to just show like, oh yeah, like the things I spend believing and doing have an impact. Like, am I walking in the spirit or am I work, doing the works of the flesh? You know, um, what, what's happening? You know, and, and it's a really, really cool thing. We'll put that in there because that might be something that you show. And you really, if it's, you're teaching teenagers, you have to like tell them ahead of time. This how cheesy. They'll check out yeah, of you. Yeah. You have to tell them like, this is so dumb, but it's actually good. And then, it, you know, if you're fun with it, it could actually, you know, work. It'll work to your favor, but we'll put that in there so that you can have that. But um, Paul says, uh, Paul says this at the end of chapter one, when he says, this is who I used to be. I used to be this person who persecuted and hated and was against you. And he just says, um, and he's talking about how his reputation of his change made it to the leadership of the church, to James and to Peter before he ever got there. In the end of chapter one, he says, they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And he says, and they glorified God in me. And they gave God the credit. They saw me and they saw what God had done in me. And they believed in him even more. Each of us are a walking billboard for the work of God that he does. Like he says in that very last chapter, the title of our our lesson where he just says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me for I bear in my body, this is chapter six, verse 17, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Those fruits have grown in me and it's because I've believed and it's because I've given my life over to him and I haven't hindered grace and I've waited and let it just work in me in faith, hope, and and in love. And he says, and, and at the end, I'm, people glorify God because they they're like, I knew who you once were and you're, and now you're someone different and And it's because of him. Yeah. And I love that it's scars that it wants to say, you know what? Living this life will actually lead to scars. It did for Jesus. Mm. His ended with scars on his hands and on his feet. And for Paul living this life ended with scars Yeah, and theirs were physical but it makes me think, you know what? We might get a little beat up while we live this life. We're in good company. Yeah. You know? Amen. Awesome. Okay, we'll see you all next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.